This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. going to continue tonight on um, the topic that we've been teaching on a few weeks, and my portion is Restoring the Relationship, God's Redemption Plan for Man. So we've been going over to, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3, and that's what we've been looking at. That's kind of been our foundational scripture throughout this teaching. And throughout this teaching, I told you that the objective of this teaching is to provide a clear understanding of what God has done for us. And what it means to believe the gospel message so that we can have the acceptable initial and ongoing response to God. So in this teaching, what we've been looking at is God has done something for us. He has made an offer to us and we are to respond to that offer. That offer is salvation. Salvation is explained in the gospel message. We are to respond to that gospel message. Let's go ahead and we're going to read, um, let's just read verse 16. So John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So early on in the teaching I was telling you that the word perish and the phrase everlasting life, those things have a, a, a much broader meaning than what we have as far as our time span. Final, uh, perish is a final destination of ruin. It's apart from God. It's a final destination. It is for eternity. Everlasting life is eternal. It's a new quality of life, which the believer has now in the present time, but it will be consummated or brought to its truest fruition once Jesus returns. So that's something we possess forever. So as we talked about this, I was saying that these two things, they, they aren't temporal. They are forever. Temporal means that it will change. It is, it's fleeting. It's, it's momentary. Maybe a lot of moments, but it has a beginning and it has an end. Perishing and everlasting life, that's not how that is. Now in that scripture, John 3.16, there's a word that I'm sorry I should have told you guys about this earlier. I took for granted that people just knew. The word believeth. Now, the word believeth is like the word believe. So to, be, to believe, I gave you guys the definition, was think to be true, implying trust. Believe to the extent of complete trust. And I believe Minister Martin said it's to embrace fully in your heart. So believe is think to be true, implying trust. So believe to the extent of complete trust and to embrace fully in your heart. Now, so, I was thinking about this and the word believeth. I want to make sure you understand that believe, so, so we gotta, gotta have a little grammar exercise here. Believe is a verb. In this case, we're using it as a verb. So that means there's an action. In this case, believe, there's a point in time believing. So I believe. Believeth, even though they're very similar, it has a different meaning. Actually, I'm going to say there's an additional thing to believeth. Believeth still means to think true, implying trust, believe to the extent of complete trust, and to embrace fully in your heart, but it does all that thing, all those things emphasizing initial and continual or ongoing. 
So it's, believeth emphasizes initial and continuing belief, ongoing trust. So in my objective, I said that we want to make sure that we have the acceptable initial and ongoing response to God. That's the believeth. It's not just I believe today and tomorrow I don't know where I am. I believe today. I believe tomorrow. I believe the next day and the next day and the next day. Believe it is continual. What, once you believe, once you have that initial response, you are to continue with that same response. The most important thing you will ever do in your life is to respond to the gospel message. So the great thing about this, I, I, I like to just kind of like, I kind of when I'm studying, I play devil's advocate with myself. I'll ask myself, well, why would somebody believe that? So here's the thing. You can believe and continue to believe this. But you may not believe. So we were looking at these people in, in this scripture, some who are going to condemn because they didn't believe. So they are not believing. But you know there's a day that they could come where they do believe. That's the great thing about the gospel message. There was a time when we all were outside and we didn't believe. But guess what? Once we believe, we can continue in that belief. So as we look at this, don't, when you hear the word, don't get all caught up in where you are now. Find, acknowledge where you are now and then believe it. Continue towards the things of God. Don't turn around. Don't stay where you are. Continue. So even if you haven't responded to the gospel message in the proper way, you still have a chance to do that. So the most important thing you do in your life is to respond to the gospel message. The response is totally your responsibility. It's totally up to you. You can't do it for anybody else, and I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. So even though we were all destined to be separated from God, our sin separated us from God, God, because of his great love, provided us a way out of that condemnation. And that was through Jesus Christ. So when we were without strength, when we couldn't do anything for ourselves, when there was nothing good about us, and when I say that, I mean every one of us. There was no good thing that any of us could do to earn our salvation. But in all of that, and God saw all of that, and he said, but you know what, I'm still going to send my son for them. And anyone who believes in him, believeth in him, they're going to come out of that condemnation to everlasting life. So we talked about that Christ, he put on flesh. Christ is God. He put on flesh for us so that he can come and take that sin for our, uh, pay for our sins. When we looked at that, we were talking about how God has done everything that needs to be done. Now all we need to do is make the right choice. We do have an adversary, and the adversary does not want you to make the right choice. The adversary does not want you to believe. If you believe, he doesn't want you to believe it. He wants to stop you at every turn. But the thing about it is, it's still up to you. We just said it in the confession, the devil cannot stop me. When we were looking at this, in order to understand this, you have to make sure there are some things for like the first two and a half weeks there are some things that we have to get out of our mind. There are some things that we have to stop believing, and there are some things that we need to start believing. And we were talking about over in Romans chapter 1 that we cannot take the wisdom of man. We cannot take the wisdom of man and make it the wisdom of God. 
Basically, we can't worship the creature instead of the creator. We can't replace our standard with God's standard and say it's God. We can't have darkness and say it's light. Because in that case, we're never going to come out of that darkness. There are things, and remember, we have an adversary. There are beliefs, there are attitudes, there are thoughts that have been ingrained in you and ingrained in all of us that try to pull us away from God. And it could be things that you thought up yourself. It could be things that were influenced by an outside individual. But they were against what God is doing. They were against his standard. They were against his word. And what we have to do is we have to pull those things down. We can't stay and allow the things that are anti-Christ. And I know I said that because what you have to realize, anti-Christ is anything that's against God. If it's not God's word, guess what? It's not God. It's anti-Christ. So we can't take the opinions of men and exalt them over the truth of God. And it doesn't matter what that is. The thing about it is we're talking about this in uh, John chapter 3 and we're talking about the light coming in. When the light comes in, it shows you the truth. The truth is the word of God. The light is the truth. So when you hear the word of God, you may have had a problem. You may have believed something wrong. But when the word of God comes in, you have to pull that crazy uh, thing that you shouldn't believe down and put his word in. And one of the things that we talked about is sometimes we have the wrong perspective of God. Sometimes who we think God is is not who he is. We can't think that God is human. Even though we use human terms to describe him, and that's, we do that because that's what we understand. But God is not a man. God is greater than man. He is God. He is supreme. He is the ultimate. So when we say God is good, we're not looking, we're not saying God is good like a man is good. God is good with no limits. God is good with no sin because he can't sin. He is love. He's not love in our human frailty of understanding of love. He is love. There are things we just have to, we have to describe them because we need to understand them and we have to use our words. But our words don't limit who God is. So when God reveals something to him, uh, to you about him, you have to let God be God and stop trying to, our pastor said it uh, Sunday, stop trying to put God in a box. Just because it makes you uncomfortable. Just because God explains something to you and it makes you uncomfortable or it takes you to a place that you haven't been before, that doesn't mean it's not true. Because sometimes God will reveal things to you and you'll say, God, I never knew that. And it, it, it puts you, it, it does put you in a place, and I'm getting kind of ahead here, but I'm just going to say, it puts you in a place where you're, you're pushing up against what you think you can do. So I'm going to give you an example. So let's say you think you can, okay, here's a better, your car. There's a certain, how fast your car go? Let's say your car at 85, it runs perfectly. You're running good, but you think, hey, I'm going to try it. Don't do this because I don't think it's anywhere that, where the speed limit is 85, but that's all I can think of. So, but you think, okay, they tell you, no, you go a little faster. And you say, I don't want to push the gas because I'm uncomfortable. And they say, no, you need to test this out. You need to push this because we need to make sure this is right. And you're like, no, I can't do it. And they're like, no, you can do it. And you're like, no, I can't. That's what God is saying. God is saying, no, I'm here. And you say, God, no, you're right here. And God is saying, no, I'm here. No, you're right here. And God is saying, no, 
I'm here. And you're like, no. And you're uncomfortable because it's getting out of your comfort zone. You're saying, God, no, this is something I've never seen, I've never done before. It all comes down to trust. It comes down to trust. Are you going to trust God when he explains something to you, when he reveals something to you? Are you going to trust that what he is telling you is for your benefit? Are you going to trust that what he is telling you is going to get you to that expected end? Or are you going to pull back and say, God, I can't give you that. I can't do that because it's uncomfortable and I don't like being uncomfortable. But that's what happens when God comes in and he tells us, and it's been happening a lot, and I see it with the things that are going on in our country today. A lot of people have believed certain things and now light is being shed on it. And what's happening is people are saying, but I believe this for so long and they can't let go of what they believed even though it's not God. And God is saying, but let me explain something to you. I can't do anything else unless you let go of that belief. You know, a lot of us, we are praying. We're God heal our land. God heal our land. And God is saying, I want to. I am able to. I am standing here ready and waiting. But you've got to pull down that idol so that you can actually worship me. And, and we're like, no, but God, I gotta hold on to that. I gotta hold on to that belief. This is what I believed my whole life. My grandparents believe it. They taught me. They taught my parents. And God said, no, you're exhausting man's traditions. That's the word I didn't use, but I want to use it tonight because a lot of times we'll use, we won't think that our traditions, because they came, we came in and it was in the church that we went to. It was in the people that we went to Bible study with. Traditions, if it's not a tradition of God, if it's a tradition of man, pull it down. Let me, let me say something to you, and I'm really gonna spend a whole lot of time reviewing it. I didn't plan on doing it. I'm looking at this time that we're in right now. God is trying to pull a whole lot of stuff down in our lives. He's given us this time to take stock of what is Him and what is not. What to keep and what to get rid of. Because we know, we keep hearing something else is coming. And guess what? If you try to keep what God is saying get rid of, you're not going to make it when the next thing comes. And we know that there's deception coming. You don't want to throw away your salvation behind a tradition from your grandma. And your grandma probably repented. And you still in it. You can't do that. And that's what I mean. You cannot exalt the, the, uh, the things of man over God. It doesn't matter how, how much you love it, how warm and fuzzy it makes you feel. It will ruin your life. So we have to understand who God is. We cannot think that God's a man. We can't think that his thoughts and his ways are like our ways because his thoughts and his ways are not like our ways. Just like, you know, you're you sitting here, you say, well, God, I want you to work this out in my life. And you already told God how to work it out. God's like, well, if you, if you already know how to do it, do it yourself. What you come to me for? That's the thing. We, we want to take it like we want it. And God is saying, no, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You're trying to fix just this little bitty problem. And God said, no, I'm going to fix that problem. I'm going to fix everything around it. I'm going to give you a way to minister to your family. I'm going to give you a way to minister to your friends. I'm going to give you a way to minister to people you don't even know if you do it my way. But if you do it your way, you're going to fail. So we looked at that God loves because he is love. His love is unconditional. 
And it doesn't come because of prompting, and it's not in response to anything. So I can't do something to make God love me. I can't say, God, I love you, and then he'll say, I love me back. That's not God. He is love. That's why he loves, because he is love. He's not a respecter of person. He doesn't have favorites or second-class citizens. There's not some people that God wants to save and other people that he doesn't want to save. There are no afterthoughts with God. He doesn't have any rankings of sin. He doesn't say, well, this sin is a little sin, so it only costs this much. Well, this sin is a big sin, so it costs this much. All sin is, is evil. All sin is wrong, and that's the way God sees it. We have to understand that we can trust God. And trust means to believe in him to the point of reliance or dependence upon. So we have to believe in him to the point where we rely and depend on him. And we looked at if you, if you think there's something wrong with the relationship between you and God, you won't trust. And what we have to realize is there was something wrong with the relationship, and Jesus came to fix that. It was our fault. We had done it. But Jesus fixed that. So we don't have to worry about those things anymore. If you think that you've done something, that you broke the trust, then you, you, maybe not, you may not want to come to God. But God's saying, just repent and come to me. There may be times when you don't think that God has your best interest at heart. Maybe you believe something wrong and you had that unmet expectation. Listen, any unmet expectation that you have is based on something you believe that was wrong. God is going to hold up his end of the bargain. He's not going to do, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So you need to know what he said he's going to do. So any unmet expectation that you have is not on God, it's something you believe that was wrong. And so he has our best interest at heart. So what we have to do is we have to change our perception of God. We have to understand who he is. And we said that God, some of his characteristics are that he is the Lord of all, power and might. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the sole ruler of the world, the absolute monarch. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's the most high God. He's the highest. His power and mercy and sovereignty cannot be matched. He is above everything and everyone. He's the everlasting God. He is the God of eternity without a beginning the God who will never cease to be, the God who will never grow old, the God to whom eternity is what present time is. He's self-existent and uncreated. He created time and space, and he transcends time. There's no time that he wasn't God, and he's always, he always will be God. He's not bound by time. He's absolutely self-existent. He possesses eternal life and permanent existence. He's the God of covenant. He keeps his promises. We can depend on God because of his unchanging character. And we looked at the word covenant and we said that a covenant is an agreement or a contract between two parties. And a covenant is only as secure as the integrity of the two parties involved in the covenant process. And then we looked over in Hebrews chapter 6 and we saw that God cut covenant with himself. Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So when God promises something, you can believe that it's going to happen. Because he's bound by his name. It's his integrity that's on the line. 
So we don't have to fear that any promises that he's made to his people will fail because he's, he, he's, he's sealed it by himself. And there is no one greater. He is who he says he is. He's the faithful God. And you know what? The, it, it always, it, when you use the, the, the what is it? Yes, adjective the, that kind of denotes it is the one, one, singular. So he is the faithful God. He can be trusted. He's reliable. He will do what he said he's going to do. He's, his faithfulness is not dependent on anyone else or any other circumstance. So it doesn't, depend, it doesn't matter how unfaithful we are, he's still faithful. It doesn't matter how unfaithful somebody else is, God is still faithful. He's merciful. That means he sees our need and then he meets that need. You know, and I think about this, his mercies are new every morning. So every morning he sees our need and guess what, he has mercy to meet that need. He's not just saying, you know, I may see your need and be like, oh, you really need that? Mm, sorry, I, don't, I can't help you. I, got, I have a heart to help you, but I don't have what you need. I can't give you anything. I don't have any resources to help you with. But that's not God. He's merciful. He sees our need, and guess what? He can meet that need. He will meet that need. In that, he's the God of all comfort. And we looked at that over in 2 Corinthians. It said not only is God the God of all comfort, but the comfort he gives us, he gives us, us, us enough comfort to comfort others by what he's given us. And this is just a drop in the bucket. of who, uh, this, Like I said, it's some of his characteristics. These are just a few things that he is towards us. When you look at how powerful he is, that he's all powerful. And you know, you have to say all, once again, just so we can describe it in our words and we can understand it. But whatever we think of God, how powerful we think it is, he is, how good we think he is, how gracious, how merciful, it goes beyond that. So once you have that in your mind, is there anything or anyone that can keep God from doing what he says he's going to do? Is there anything or anyone that can keep God from fulfilling his promises? So, you know, that's when the believer comes in. So if you believe that, you trust in it, you rely on it, your actions will say that. So what is it that God did? This God who is powerful, he transcends time and space, he's self-existent. He's provided redemption through Jesus Christ for those who believe. So God, being as great as he is, when you think about it, you know, here's God. He's the creator. So God's the creator. He created man. So man sinned. So when man sinned, we went into condemnation. He's the creator. If he had wanted to, he could have started all over. But he said, no, I'm not going to start over. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to bring them back to the place that I wanted them to be in the, uh, in the beginning. That original place. So God did that through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no one that God cannot save. There's no one that God does not want to save. The only reason that men are not saved, men, women, whoever, are not saved is because they don't believe. They do not accept the offer that Jesus, that came through Jesus Christ. And salvation is only by Jesus Christ. You, all the rest of that stuff you hear? No. Salvation is by Jesus Christ. 
So we looked at verse uh, John 3 and 17. We told you that uh, the Father didn't send Jesus to accuse you and tear you down. He didn't send Jesus to condemn you. He sent him so that you could have eternal life. So that you could be out of that condemnation. That is the way you, when you believe on him, that is the way you get out of the condemnation. Jesus came to condemn sin. Once, once the sin issue is dealt with, the condemnation is dealt with. If you stay in sin, if you refuse to believe, that means you're staying in sin. So guess what? Sin, Jesus condemns sin, so you're in condemnation. Once you turn away from that, and you say, well, I want to believe the gospel message, I want to believe that Jesus paid for my sin, then guess what? You're out of that condemnation. And we looked over, let's go to... Um, now we're going to look at, kind of pick up where we left off last week, John three eighteen through 20. And we were looking at the difference between conviction and condemnation. So we'll go ahead and read verses 18 through 20. So we're still in John 3. We're going to look at 18 through 20. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So we looked at that word reproved, and we said it meant to expose, refute, to show one's faults, implying that there is a convincing of that fault. It's showing you, hey, you're convinced that you're wrong. Also means to convict. We said conviction occurs when the light comes into darkness. So the light, the word of God comes in and it convicts you of what you're not doing, what is not right. So conviction is the result of seeing that you don't meet the standard. Conviction should produce repentance. When your wrong is exposed, this being reproved or conviction comes, it doesn't mean that you're condemned. Your wrong being exposed is an opportunity for you to choose to walk in the light. It's an opportunity for you to repent. The thing about it is, so when you accept, when you believe on the only begotten Son, you accept the light. He is the light. The light comes in. We can't say that, God, I want to accept the word, I want to believe the gospel, but I don't want the light. You can't, you can't have it both ways. You either take all of it or you take none of it. So what does that mean? It means that, God, I want to be saved, but I want to keep living in sin. I don't want, I don't want to repent. I don't want to come out of this. I want to have it both ways. And you can't do that. And we looked over, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're talking about, we hear a lot of people say, don't judge me. You know, oh, you, you can't judge me. Well, you know what? And I put this in my notes so I'll make sure to, to say this. There will be some judging. Now, you know what? Here's the thing. This judgment is not condemnation. This is basically saying it's either right or wrong. You know, a lot, you, you judge a lot of stuff. You really don't, you really don't realize you're judging it. Somebody show you got a red light and a green light. You judge that it's red. Or you judge that it's green. It's just saying that this is what this thing is. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse 32. Oh, excuse me, 31 and 32. 
For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So, I'm going to go backwards here. 32, it says, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So there's that word condemned again. We, if we judge ourselves, we will not be condemned with the world. The whole point of this, the whole point of this conviction or this showing you that something is wrong is so that you won't be condemned. So that you won't be judged with this world which is passing away, which is temporal, which is not God's standard. This is not God's system. So what God is doing is he's sending his light in, he's sending his word in, and he's showing you these things that need to be changed so that you can walk in his ways. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5. So there will be some judging. Somebody's going to have to show you the standard of God. So you, you can get upset. You can get upset with your friends who tell you the truth about the word. You can get upset with the pastor. You can get upset with the teachers. You can get upset with, with the scripture that you get every day on your phone. You can All of that. Because guess what? God is using all of that sometimes. You can get upset with that, but you have to know the standard of God. And God is going to bring his standard before you, and he's going to say, now here's my standard. Take a look at your life. Does your life meet that standard? He's going to expose those things to you through his word. Somebody can tell you that what you're doing is wrong. They can tell you over and over, just like I said. You can have all those methods showing you that you're wrong, but until you accept it, until you believe it, you won't change. So that's why you have to judge yourself. You have to take that standard and say, that standard is for me. And then you have to choose whether you're going to change your life. So conviction says that I see the standard and I see I don't meet the standard. Where there's conviction, there's hope. There's hope. What that is, is God saying, let's get that right. Let's get that right. Let's get that right. It's a scripture and it says that God, basically, we're sons of God when he chastises us. So we want God to show us those things. We want him to show us those things. And then remember, I said this last week, he's merciful. So when we see, God, I missed it. I didn't know that I was wrong. I repent. He gives us what we need to go on so that we can come out of those dark places, so that we can continue to believe. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So the light, God's words, his precepts, it makes things visible and clear. So the light comes in and those things that are there are able to be seen. When the light comes into darkness, it exposes and reveals that which can't be seen while it's still dark. So the things that we see when the light comes in, they were there all the time. So you think about it. If you go into a dark room, you don't know what's in there. And so let's say you're in a dark room and there's like a bunny in the room. But you don't know because it's dark. So you turn the light on and you see the bunny. Well, the light didn't make the bunny. The bunny was always there. You just didn't see it. So when the light comes into your life, 
and he starts revealing things to you. And, and, you know, a lot of people say this, you know, before I started going to church and doing right, I didn't have these problems. No, you did have those problems. It's just that it was dark around everything, so all, nothing was seen. So now God's revealing these things to you, and it was always there. The light just exposed them. So once the light comes in, don't shut it out. Don't shut it out. It may, like I said, it may be a little uncomfortable. You may have to deal with some things about yourself that you didn't want to have to deal with. But go ahead and deal with them. And I understand, you know, like, yeah, so let's say you turn the light on and there was a bunny in your house. You're like, how did a bunny get in my house? You're like, oh, my God. So now you're ashamed. You're like, oh, my gosh, before the, when the light was off, I didn't even see that bunny. I'm going to turn the light back off and let him stay here. No. Okay, you were ashamed, but that's Okay. Get over the shame and get it out. So God exposes those things, those messy areas in our life, so that we can change them. Not so we can just sit there and be like, oh God, I was such a bad housekeeper that I leave the door open and let that bunny in. Oh, No, that's not what it is. It's not like, oh, that's not it. God is saying, well, let's, let's change. Let's make, these, let's make these things better. Let's, get, let's, let's solve this problem. The, the thing about solving a problem is... If you don't know what the problem is, you can't solve it. So this happens at work all the time. I work in IT. So we'll have a problem and the people will say, this is what's happening. And you'll look at it and you're like, well, that's odd. And they'll say, well, just fix this thing. And no, but it's a root cause way, way down the line that's causing those things. And you just want to fix just this one piece. But if we don't know what the problem is, it's just going to keep happening over and over and over. That's why you want to take God at his word and let him show you those things. So now you're not just looking at the top. You're not just dusting the top of your furniture. You're getting down in there and finding out where things are coming from. As believers, we should not refuse conviction. We should not shut the light out. So over there in in John chapter 3, in verse um, 20, it says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's That's not what a believer does. Doesn't matter how hard it is. Doesn't matter what I have to do to change. Doesn't matter what it is that I have to do or what I have to come to terms with. I don't shut out the light. I don't shut out God's word. I don't, I don't stop fellowshipping with the believers. You know, a lot of people, I, I've seen it so many times, a lot of people, something will happen in their life. They'll get off track. They'll make a mistake. And they're coming to church regularly, and they're fellowshipping, but once they make that mistake, they'll pull themselves away from the things of God. Because they don't, they're, now they're, they, they're convicted, and they don't know what to do with that conviction. And they feel like, oh, my God, I, I've done something bad. And sometimes they want to keep doing it and sometimes they don't. But they don't have the right response. So they pull themselves away and they get into positions where no lo- there's no longer light. So now they're not seeing that anymore. Still there, but they're not seeing it anymore. As a believer, remember, we're believe- it's believeth. We continue believing. So when we, we see it, even if like w- once the darkness is exposed, we continue to believe. We continue to trust God that he's going to show us how to continue in his life and come out of those things. So let's go over to Mark chapter 10. So let's look at an example of conviction. So Mark chapter 10.
Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled down to him, and asked him, Good master, what shall I do, that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not fear, uh, excuse me, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest: go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come. Take up that cross, take up the cross and follow me. So a lot of us are familiar with this passage of scripture. We call it the, the rich young ruler. So here is this, um, here's Jesus and this man comes up on him and he asks him this question. And he says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So this guy was looking for the thing, the good thing that he could do to inherit eternal life. So he came to Jesus and he asked him this question. So, you know, you got to think about it. If you go to somebody and ask them for information, you think that they have the answer. Because he came up to him. He won running. So he was running. He wasn't just walking. He was running to Jesus asking this question. So just normal human nature, it means he believes Jesus has the answer. And if he wants to know what he needs to do, that means he wants eternal life. Okay? So he was looking for uh, eternal life. So Jesus goes through and he says, well, you know the commandments. And he told him, here are the commandments. And he said, well, you know, I've done all those since I was young. I got that part. Is that it? You know, he's like, oh, well, Jesus, I've done all those. And then Jesus says, there's one thing that you lack. And he said, so... All that you have, go sell, give it to the poor, and then you're going to have, I'm going to read that, what he told him he's going to have. After you, I'm just going to read it. One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Huh, wait a minute. He said you're going to have treasure in heaven. So this is getting at what he wants. And then he says, Jesus says, come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, in the beginning, the guy was like, yeah, Jesus, I've done all those things. I'm straight. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that was, I, was just, I just want you to get settled in. So now, this is what I need you to do. So he comes in, this rich young ruler comes in with a preconceived idea of what, it needs, what he needs to do to have eternal life. So then he gets, he, like in the beginning, he's like, I can do that. I've been doing the commandments. Since I was young, and if you see, he's really not. But he comes in, and and then when Jesus tells him what he really needs to do, he's like, whoa, I don't know if I can do that. So what you come asking Jesus for? You know, you start start to think about things like that. You're like, wait, now he's giving you the answer, and you're like, I don't know about that. So when what he needed to do didn't align with what he thought it needed to be, the Grishlund ruler... He wasn't willing to do that. In fact, in verse 22, it says, And he was sad at that saying, 
and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So a lot of times, if you go up to somebody and you say, you know, you're in idolatry. And they're like, I'm not, I'm not in idolatry. What are you talking about? I love God. Don't say that mess to me. And then you say, okay, take all your goods, sell them, give them to the poor. You're like, what? Huh? Who? I don't know what you're talking about. So this, this is the thing. See, when we say things like, like when I said earlier, you have things in your life that are anti-Christ. If you didn't hear them in the context of that teaching, you'd be like, no way. She doesn't know what she's talking about. But then when you start thinking about the things of man that you built up that are not of God, you'll realize that. So that's what Jesus does here. He comes in and he tells this man, he doesn't say, don't, you know, have no other gods before the living God. But he shows him, he asks him a question that reveals his heart. He exposes his heart. The question reveals, exposes, reproves, convicts the rich young ruler. So the light came in and he was convicted. The one thing I want you to understand here, don't get this all messed up. This is, this is Jesus' teaching here. He's not telling the young man that a person has to be poor to follow him. What he's doing is he's letting him know that the relationship between God and mankind, or my relationship with God, with God has to take priority over every other relationship. I can't love anything more than I love God. I can't love any person more than I love God. So when Jesus came in and gave this man his instruction, it exposed his heart. It showed him, this rich young ruler, that his trust wasn't in God, but it was in what he had. So he, he was like, in, in the way he comes at it, you know, we can look at this and we can find out all the things that this rich young ruler did. But when you take this, and you look at it, take this same thing. There are some things that God has asked you to give up. And you know, sell, um, I believe in one teaching, it was, to, it was we use the uh, definition of divest. It means to break away from, come away from, uh, break attachments. There are some things in our lives that God has said, you need to let that go. You need to stop doing that. You need to break that relationship off. And you're like, God, I can't do that. And then you're saying, but I want an eternal life. I want your life. God is saying, this is my life. But you're not, you're not accepting it. So we, we can look at this guy. He, he's great to look at for teaching. But remember, we're teaching so we can put this on our lives. So we can use this and figure out how to apply it to our lives. So Jesus is telling him to let go of what you, you think is sustaining you and keeping you. He's saying, let it all go and put me first. So this rich young ruler, his ability, his inability to sell his goods and give to the poor stopped him from following Jesus. He believed that what he would give up was greater than what he would gain. In this case, he believed that the eternal life that he came to Jesus saying that he was, he was asking about, saying that he wanted, was less than his good. So what he was doing, he was bowing down to the things that he had. He was worshiping the things that he had. That's what had the last say in his life. So he, you know, it says he went away and he was grieved because he had great possessions. 
So he realized this is the standard. God had given him, Jesus had given him the standard. And he's like, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm hurt right now. My heart is broke. I don't want to do that. He went away sad and grieving, but let's look at verses 28 and, uh, through 30 of that. Cause it, there was, there's more to this story. I'm not going to read the rest of uh, those verses in between there, but read that on your own time. Um, so in verse 28, it picks up here. It says, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. So here's the deal. The rich young ruler, what did, what did Jesus tell him? Sell it up. Sell your good, give to the poor, and follow me. So Peter says, guess what? We've done that. We've left all to follow you. So the standard that the rich young ruler was given was not a standard that only he had to follow. There were people who were doing that. Peter said, I'm, I'm doing this. We're doing this. The apostles, we're doing this. So, you know, a lot of times we hear the standard of God and we think God is picking on us individually. And he's not. The standard of God is the standard of God. I said it earlier. God does not have respect for a person. I can't be a liar and think that I'm all right with God. I can't be a cheat and think that I'm all right with God. That, that's just how it is. Oh, well, you know, well, I, you know, once again, we have these like hierarchy of sins, you know. Well, here's like homosexuality. Here's abortion. Here's, I don't know what else the other things are, the big ones now. That's what they call them. Those are up here. But you know, I just embezzled some money. That's not that big of a deal. What? Yes, God doesn't say, oh, you just embezzled it. Oh, you don't really need the blood of Jesus. Come on in. No, that's not how it is. And don't think that anybody who's doing those things, that's not how God works. The standard is the standard. So here Peter says, you know, we've done all these things. And then Jesus, because I want you to see that this rich young ruler, he went away, but he didn't get the whole story. There were things that had, had he just maybe asked a couple questions or just waited, he may have gotten a little bit more clarity. So verse 29, it says, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and land, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. So... What Jesus is saying here is when you follow him, you'll be fulfilled. Those things that you think you gave up, let's say you gave up a relationship. God's not going to let you have a hole in your life. Early we saw he's the God of all comfort. Those things that you gave up, God is going to make sure that you're fulfilled. He's going to make sure you're fulfilled in the proper way. You're not going to be lacking. You're not going to be insecure. You know, you may, maybe you were, you were in a relationship or you have a family member that really is not good for you to be around. So you have to stop being around them. Guess what? God's going to bring people for your life. He's not going to leave you like that. Don't think that God, you left the house, God's going to give you a hundred houses. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the quality of things. The things you, the things you give up for God, once you, once you follow God and you get into it, you'll see that they mean, they were nothing. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying your relationships weren't anything. Your relationship meant something. It still means something. But God is going to make sure that you're fulfilled. He's going to make sure you're comforted. He's going to make sure you have everything you need in this life. 
and then eternal life, eternal life in the time to come. So understand, you're not losing anything. You're not losing anything. When conviction comes and shows you what you need to do or how you need to change, you can't hold back. That's what the rich young ruler did. He held back. He said, I can't do it. He went away grieving. The one thing I noticed is, you know, we don't know what happened with that rich young ruler. He went away convicted, but he wasn't condemned. So, knowing he had that information, he may, he may have repented. We don't know. Because that's the thing. The light comes in and it shows you those things. You should repent. Don't, don't be like, well, I'm just going to walk away. I, I'm being convicted tonight, but I'm going to walk away because I'm, I'm grieved. I don't want to let that go. You don't know how much time you have. Because like I said, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know what happened when he walked away. He may have fallen in the hole. He may have lived, uh, you know, 50 more years. But when the conviction comes, it's not condemnation. You have a chance to repent. So, when the light comes in, we realize that there's nothing we can do to earn eternal life. That's what this rich young ruler was trying to do. He was trying to do something. We realize that our works and our deeds, they just don't cut it. So we realize that we fall short. And it brings us to shame, like I was saying, you know, like how, how shame you would be if you turned on the light and was buddy in your house. How did he get here? But we can't cover our shame. Adam and Eve tried to do that after they sinned. They went and got the fig leaves. And that's not going to work. But the great thing about it is God has done away with that shame through Jesus Christ. The source of our shame is sin. When we're ashamed or, or we're in sin, we usually think everybody can see it. We think the mistakes that we've made are on display for everybody to see. So we try really hard to cover it up. We do whatever we can so people don't see that or to make ourselves feel better. We make excuses. We try to blame other people for what we've done. We try to um, shift the attention from us to somebody else. So you can focus on that instead of me. And guess what? You know in your life it doesn't work. From experience, you know. You're sitting here, you're thinking, yeah, that's happening. You know it doesn't work. The shame is still there. So Jesus, accepting the gospel, believing and continuing to believe, that is the cure to your shame. So when you can accept what Jesus has done for you and understand that sin caused that shame and that Jesus has dealt with that sin, you don't have to stay in that shame. Accepting the gospel, repenting, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior is the way out of that shame. When, when you're not doing all those things, making all those excuses, trying to shift the blame, everything you're trying to do, you can simplify your life. Your life is complicated because you just won't do the thing that needs to be done. You can let go of all those excuses. You can let go of the blame game. A lot of the things, a lot of things that are going on in your life, a lot of relationships that don't work. Once, once you realize, wait a minute, I need to accept Jesus. I need to accept this gospel. I need to realize that there's darkness in my life and Jesus is coming in with the light and I need to accept that light. I need to change. Then you can let go of all that stuff. You can say that you want to change, that you want to be more like Christ, but if you don't allow his word to change you, then you're being a hypocrite. You're saying one thing and you're doing another. You're saying, God, I want you, I want you, 
But you're saying, I don't want you that way. Just like the rich young ruler. No, God, I, I want eternal life, but I want to do, I want eternal life on my terms. You don't have eternal life on your terms. Eternal life is, God is eternal life. So it's on his terms. So when you're confronted with the truth and the light shines in your life, what do you do? Do you receive the light or do you shut it out? Do you say, um, I know, God, you're telling me this. I'll do it tomorrow. Or, I don't really think that's me. They didn't say the exact thing that I'm doing. They just said 70% of what I'm doing. So I don't want to do that. When you do that, you're saying you'd rather stay in darkness. You see what God is exposing in your life, but you don't want the light to come in because you don't want to change. That means you don't want to be reproved. You are one of those who are in condemnation because you're not believing. But don't, don't worry. If you're there, you can believe. You still have a chance. You still have time. You can repent and believe. So as you're, as you're thinking about these things, you're saying, oh, maybe I'm confused. I don't really understand. What is all this and what is all that? And that's what happens a lot of times. But what I want you to understand is God is not the author of confusion. If there's confusion in your life, then there's an absence of hearing the word, understanding the word, doing the word, or conforming to the word. And that means you're disobeying. So, what do I mean by confusion? Confusion, I don't mean not understanding, not getting an understanding. This is what I mean by confusion. Confusion means disorder. It's chaos. It's a noisy head. Too many, too many competing thoughts, ideas, and principles. It's unsettled. So, confusion means you're getting the word of God, but you've got all these other things going on in your mind. You've got all these other things that you've heard, you've seen, that you want to do, and you are confused. There's chaos, disorder, a noisy head. Too many competing thoughts, ideas, and principles. You're unsettled. This, the way I'm using confusion in this teaching, it means that you have the information that you need. It's available to you. It's there. You just have let too many things compete with it. So you don't know how to use it properly. So that's confusion. Confusion comes in when you're not renewing your mind. You're keeping those old thoughts. Earlier in the teaching, I said you've got to take out your wrong perception of God and put in the right perception. But you're trying to keep that wrong perception. You're fellowshipping with the wrong people. You're looking at the wrong things. You're letting things that aren't of God have space in your mind and you need to get them out. Those things, that noisy head, that disorder you have is causing confusion and you're not, a, you're not able to allow the light in. So you have to get rid of the confusion. Now, like I said, confusion is not the same as incomplete or not fully understanding. Understanding or incomplete understanding, that means there's some things I'm just not clear about. I'm in agreement with what God has said, but there may be some things that I need to study a little bit more. Maybe I need to listen to the whole message and get some clarity on. That's not confusion. A person who... Um, 
doesn't have complete understanding, maybe needs a little bit more information, they can obey. They will obey. So they may not have all the details, but you're going to continue to trust and press until you get a clearer understanding. There may be some things tonight you said, that's right, that's true, I'm going to do that. And you just need a little bit more understanding. You need to study a little bit more. You need to hear the word. You need to let God reveal himself to you a little bit more. But that, that's the difference between confusion and not having complete understanding. So, like, if you looked at Peter, when Peter said, um, hey, lo, we have left all and followed thee, he's kind of like, I don't, under, I, I, I don't have complete understanding here, Jesus. That's the difference. Peter said, I've done these things, but I, I need some more understanding. He needed some more clarity. Confusion means I've got to, it, confusion, I'll use a better word, it's chaos. It's chaos. You've got all this mess going on in your head. You've got 17 different voices coming in. You've got music playing. You've got all this stuff going on, and it's all noisy in your head, and you, you try to do the Word of God, but you don't know where it is because you've got to pull under so much other stuff. It's messy in there. Now, confusion is also different from disagreement. So, disagreement means I don't agree with what has been said. I don't agree with the word. I may or may not have enough understanding. Or I may refuse to exert the effort necessary to get understanding. Disagreement means I have a different opinion that I base my actions on. So, when you're confused, you can get to understanding and base your actions off the right thing. You can get to disagreement. You don't want to disagree with the Word of God. So, disagreement means I don't agree with what has been said. I may or may not have enough understanding or I refuse to exert the effort necessary to get understanding. So what do I mean by that? I won't even turn on the live stream. I'm at home. All i got to do is click a button on my phone, which I have in my hand all the time, but I refuse to listen. I don't want to get understanding. I'm in disagreement. Actions that are associated with disagreement. So a lot of times people may say, well, I don't disagree with it. I just don't understand. So we'll see. So actions that are associated with disagreement. This is, this is what people will do. They'll say, oh, I'll give it a try, but I doubt it'll work. They may not say it that way. But they've already determined the outcome before they started. So let's say um, I doubt it. Okay, so, you know, oh, here it is. We'll go with this Sunday. Oh, I'll tie next week, but I don't think, about, I don't know about that super about stuff. But I'll just tie it just just to say I did it. The effort you put forth usually when you say that is to save face. It's a selfish motivation. You just, you just want to do it. You say, I'll do it, but I don't really think it's going to work. Another thing is, I'll do this part, but not that part. So what does that look like? Yes, I believe God is good, but I'm not that bad. So I don't necessarily need to change God. I can still do some of that stuff, right? I can still believe this. I can still act this way because I'm not that bad, right, God? So you're going to do part of it, but you're not going to do all of it. That's, that's the hypocrite. That's saying, you know, God, I don't need all of you. I just need a part of you. Then there's this one. It's continual, unnecessary questions. Now, don't get me wrong. I just told you. 
Questions are okay. And, and questions are fine. They bring clarity. But sometimes they're a stalling tactic. They're a way, like I said earlier, to divert that attention. So I'll ask a question. You know, uh, you're talking about uh, uh, redemption, right? You're talking about redemption. So what about, uh, what do you think about, what do you think about eschatology? And, and then they start talking about the sign of the beast and all this kind of stuff. We're not on that yet. Now, let me tell you, the things of God, God will reveal his word to you. You can't understand eschatology. You can't understand the sign of the beast. You need to stick right here in salvation. You need to stick right here in redemption and get what God is saying there. And then he'll advance you on. You'll start to understand those things. But sometimes people just ask questions to get away from the point that's actually trying to be made. That's disagreement. It'll come to you. You'll be talking about to somebody uh, about the word, about what's being taught, and they'll start asking all these questions that are just out of left field. And you're like, well, are you in the same church? Did you watch something different? Disagreement. The next one, red herrings. So what is that? What is a red herring? It's an irrelevant piece of information used to distract or shift attention away from what you're disagreeing with. So that's kind of like a question, but also it may be something where people just like, well, I don't want to talk about that. You know, like they'll say, well, well, didn't people use the Bible to justify slavery? Well, that's wrong. Well, how can you do that? We're not, we're not talking about right, that right now. We can talk about that, but we're going to talk about this. It's a passive-aggressive way to disagree. What, what happens when people act like this, they don't want to say, I disagree with God. I want to disobey they just want to, they want to have a cover for their disobedience. Then this one, this is a good one. They focus on the person or the ministry delivering the message. Wait, y'all, y'all, y'all got a woman pastor? What? Oh, they let women teach there? They let them wear pants? Oh, 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 that's a black church over there. That's a white church. Should we really be listening to them? You know, I heard they said this. I heard they said that. They don't have, that's a small church. They don't have that many members. God can't be speaking to them. That's somebody that's in disagreement. And see, all of those things, that's never going to get you where you need to be with God. So God is shining the light in. Maybe you've said those things. Maybe you've, maybe you've not said them with your mouth. Maybe you've said them with your heart. Maybe someone said it to you. But guess what? You're hearing it tonight and God is saying, the light is coming in. Accept the light. When you disagree with God's word, it means you have no intention of doing it. You plan to disobey. You plan to stay in sin. And when the light comes in, you're choosing to push it out. You have to see the need to change in order to change. The thing about it is God wants all men to repent. He gives us what we need. He brings the light in. He sheds light on those dark areas in our lives. He shows us those things that don't meet his standard. And he says, I want you to turn away from those things and turn towards me. Turn towards the light. So God gives all men the opportunity to repent. He wants all men to repent. But repentance is your choice. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, 
please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.